If you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, or if you're here in person, we're glad that you're watching. Uh, we're continue our, continuing our discussion on community. Uh, we're kind of shifting into how to love people well. Uh, and then I believe we're going to shift in, into how to honor people, but it all encompasses the community series. So we're kind of changing topics, but I'm linking them all together um, because in order to have a healthy community, we have to keep our love on. Oh, you're cheating. It can't be on and off. You need to put some duct tape over that switch. There's a switch downstairs. People keep flipping it off and it's our spotlight. Okay, so the spotlight's broken, the sensor's broken, and it, when that switch is on, I get calls from the nursing home saying, could you please shut that light off? It blinks and flickers all night long and keeps me awake. So I had to put tape over it. Please leave this switch off. Well, in this case, we need to put duct tape over our switch, our love switch, and keep it on so nobody can flip it off. Okay? Can we do that spiritually in our hearts today as we go through this? Last week, we discussed how to learn to respond to hurt and pain in our lives instead of just react, reacting to it. Thinking instead of overreacting to pain. But one of the problems is, as adults, we've learned and we've been taught to avoid pain altogether. And the reality of being in any relationship is that pain is coming your way eventually. Okay? Because you're not so perfect and you're going to cause someone else pain. And they're going to cause you pain. It's just the reality of being in relationships and going to an island and avoiding people is not an option if you're a believer. Because you are called to share the gospel. Sharing means you have to talk to somebody else about it. So you can't avoid people, people. Come on. And I'm not sure if you went to an island if all the animals would end up not liking you and just wanting off the island. So come on, let's be real here. Okay? You can avoid people, but you're probably going to upset some animals. Don't take that personally. It was just a joke. Pain is coming your way. So what we're trying to talk about is learning to process it. Last week, we talked about learning to process pain in a healthy way. And that was the main point from last week. Since God's plan for creation was interaction with people, you will never avoid pain. Am I right? Everybody in this room has, has, has felt pain from someone else at some point. Perhaps multiple times. So when it happens, just remember the statement from last week. When it happens, we need to reflect on the character of God and stop overreacting to stupid. Okay, I know that was a strong statement last week, but that's the truth. I didn't know what else to call it because some people just do stupid things and it hurts us. We need to remember at that moment to take on the character of God. And don't just re react because we're hot and we're mad. And then I went on a rant about how uh, I have the freedom to love you no matter what you do to me. I have that freedom to love you no matter what you do to me, right? So do you. My number one goal is to not lose connection with you. Nothing you do to me will ever stop my love for you. You can run from me because a lot of people have, but I'm not going anywhere. Now, if you were here last week, something very offensive happened during the service. One of the most hurtful things that you can probably do to a pastor while he's preaching. A cell phone went off in the middle of the message. <laughs> now, here's the thing. At the time, I didn't know whose phone it was. I'm 52 years old. You know, I think one ear works good and the other one's just kind of like, yeah. I'll work some days and not work other days. I honestly did not know whose phone it was. <clears throat> Tina. Oh. And we just laughed about it, right? Because it's really not a big deal. It's not a big deal, right? 
But I have to share with you the text I received after the service. Just letting you in on the life of a pastor for a moment. But also, also, the reason why I share it is because this is exactly the point of last week's message. And I quote, Pastor, I'm sorry my phone went off during service. I have many devotions on my phone and it alerts me to stop, read, and pray. You see how they spiritualized a mistake? See how that? We all do that. We all do that. Listen to what they said next. If it offended you and you don't want me back, (laughs) too bad. (laughs) What's the message? No matter what you do to me, you're stuck with me. No matter what I do to you, you're stuck with me. No matter what I do to you, you're stuck with me and I'm stuck with you. Isn't that truth though? There's so much truth in that text message. And we talked about this last week. Perfect love casts out fear. It was a mistake. An accident. Pastor didn't need to freak out over it. Or get offended by it. And some pastors would have. Because it's all about them. Right? We're not supposed to cause fear or shame or punishment on anyone. Once again, I won't mention their name. Gina. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to extend the same grace and mercy and forgiveness and love that Jesus gives us every single day. It was just a cell phone. It was just a word. They're probably having a bad day. I don't need to take this personal. Obviously, they're broken. They're hurt. They're, they're bitter. It's really not about me. So I give that to you, Lord. Help me not to take on any offense. Guard my heart. I really hope we all take last week's lesson and put it into practice. We are not to instill fear into people ever. We are not to pile on pain onto people ever. We are not to speak hurtful words towards people ever. We are not to exact revenge on people ever. And we are not to place shame or guilt on people ever. What we're supposed to do if we're going to reflect the character of God is keep your love on. And you do that by keeping your armor on. And live according to this passage that we read last week. 1 Peter 4a. I just had to share it again because it's so powerful. And above all things, have fervent love, which is passionate, intense love for one another. For that kind of love will cover a multitude of mistakes. So what if Tina's phone goes off again this Sunday? Hmm. What will pastor do? Because once is one thing. You hurt me once. That's one thing. Do it to me twice. I don't care what pastor says. And there's not a verse powerful enough. I'm coming after you. Right? Come on. Tina, shut your phone off, by the way. Right? This is what we're talking about. Mistakes. Like, like leaving your cell phone on during a service. Right? I want to start out today by reading straight from the book. When I read this story, it just cracked me up, and, and it was so powerful. It had so much meaning to it that I'm just going to read from my pages because I have it on my Kindle, and I didn't want to take a chance on my Kindle, you know, so I just typed it all up. I want to read this story. It's a, it's a little, little lengthy, but I want to start out today by reading this. It's about the author of the book, Danny Silk, and his wife, Sherry. It's not going to be on the screen. You're going to have to listen to me without falling asleep. I just have to read it. I, I have to read it to you because it's proof of what can happen if you keep your love on. 
in any relationship. So this is about a marriage, but this is about any relationship. Here it is. My wife Sherry and I are a testimony of the power of choosing to keep our love on against all odds. Both my parents were married three times. Sherry's mom and dad were both married three times. And her stepfather, who raised her from the time she was two, year old, two years old, was also married three times. Between our two sets of parents, there were 15 marriages. Each one obviously affected our lives as a couple. So when you, know, you realize with marriage, we bring our baggage into a relationship. And nobody ever talks about that baggage. And nobody ever tries to get healing from it. They never go through inner healing and get healed from it. And so that's why you have chaos in a lot of relationships. Because you're bringing baggage into them. Which is okay. You're going to. That's why we did the baggage series years ago. There were 15 marriages between our two sets of parents. Each one obviously affecting our lives as a couple. So when the time came for Sherry and I to get married, we sought premarital counseling from Bill Johnson. There was no such thing as a premarital class back then. Our counseling consisted of two private sessions with Pastor Bill. During the first session, we took a test called the Taylor Johnson Compatibility Assessment. In the second session, we went over the test results. Supposedly, everything looked okay, so we decided to get married. Twelve years later, twelve years later, Sherry and I sat in Bill's living room discussing the opportunity to become associate pastors at Bethel. Somehow the topic of our marriage came up and Bill scratched his chin. And he said, this reminds me of that note that was on your assessment. What note, I asked. He looked at me expectantly. That Taylor Johnson thing we did in your premarital counseling session. Remember that note that was on it when it came back to me? Sherry and I both drew blanks. Um, no. I didn't tell you about that note, he asked, looking confused. Sherry and I leaned toward him. Both of us were keenly interested to find out whether this note would answer years of questions swirling around our marriage. What note? You didn't tell them? Benny, Bill's wife, asked in disbelief. Tell us what, Sherry and I prodded. Oh, that's weird, Bill said. I thought I told you about it a while ago. Well, for 10 years, I gave that assessment to couples, and I sent them off to a psychologist. He ran them through his computer and then mailed me the results. Okay, Sherry nodded, urging him on. When I got your test back, it came with a post-it note on it. The first time in 10 years there had ever been a post-it note on the results. He paused. The psychologist explained that the test shows the points where two people's lives are supposed to touch in compatibility in order to predict a successful relationship. Well, the two of you did not touch on one point. You had parallel lines. According to that test, you were completely incompatible. I felt my eyes bugging out of my head. Bill kept going, oblivious to our astonishment. According to the psychologist, between the differences in your personalities and the 15 marriages that had gone on in, with your parents, your chances of success were minimal. His post-it note actually said something to this effect. Do whatever you can to stop these two human beings from being in the same house together. <laughs> it felt like a small bomb had got, gone off. We started... We stared at each other in shock, trying to absorb the fact that A, some psychologists had warned us not to get married, and B, Bill did not tell us. <laughs> it was a pretty funny moment looking back. Finally, I said, well, well, Bill, that helps explain why the first decade of our marriage was absolute hell. 
Our first 10 years of marriage were a constant struggle. Sherry and I came up against serious challenges created by our vastly different personalities, broken relational histories, and natural human fears. There were plenty of moments where we could have decided we've had enough because it just wasn't working. I hope you're listening to this. But we both chose to stay invested in our connection and keep trying. We chose to embrace the unique things that made us different and learned what unconditional love and acceptance could produce when two people refused to give up on each other. Please don't just think about this in marriage. This is about you and me too. Bill must have known deep down not to give us that. No, I can tell you now that what Sherry and I have created is a beautiful thing. If that psychologist could just see us now. The connection we have built and the life we enjoy together keeps getting better and better. Our marriage is a miracle in every way. Thanks to my journey with Sherry, I have more hope than anyone I, I know for people who are going through marital problems. If you are blessed to grow up in a healthy relational environment, then it's possible for you to simply inherit good relational tools, never really appreciating just how powerful and costly they are. But when, as Sherry and I did, you have to pay the price to go find these tools after receiving a pile of dangerous, broken tools from your family environment, then you have a different perspective. Acquiring the tools and wisdom to build a healthy connection in our marriage was like discovering the polio vaccine. Learning to make the reversals that we've discussed up to this point, from powerless to powerful, from control to self-control, from the goal of distance to the goal of connections, from fear to love, were nothing short of evolutionary, revolutionary. And we are supremely confident that anyone can make these reversals and build to restore healthy, intimate connections in their lives, even after years of disconnection and brokenness, unquote. Wow. Isn't that story amazing? Do not let these two human beings be in the same home together. And yet, because they kept their love on and protected their connection, they survived. And now they're stronger than ever because they had to fight for the relationship. I just think we have too many quitters nowadays. Way too many quitters. And if you just push through and just kept fighting and remove yourself from the situation and let God come in and stop being so selfish and say, well, they're not meeting my needs. Boo-hoo. My needs don't get met half the time either because that's not what it's about. I read this to give you hope, especially if your marriage or friendship with someone or relationship with a sibling or another family member is not quite what you expected it to be, right? Come on, let's be honest. We all think it's going to be a fairy tale story, <laughs> but it ends up being times of struggle and work. I just want you to know that if you stick with it, you keep fighting for it, you learn new skills, you apply those skills, there's hope. There's not only hope, he said there's beauty on the other side. Listen, on the other side of faithfulness to each other and consistent connection with each other. Fight for your connection, no matter what you go through, right? Stay connected as a team. You're not individuals in the same home. You are a team. When you have a friend, you are a team. When you're part of a church, we are a team. And we can't read your mind, so you need to tell us when you have a need. It doesn't mean we can solve it because we're not here to solve all your needs. Only he is. All right, but we will come alongside you because we are a team. Whether you feel like it or not, remove your emotions, remove your feeling. We're not telling you not to live without feelings. 
okay? But remove them when you come against pain and hurt and say, I'm not going to respond to my emotions. I need to know what the word of God says. And we are the body of Christ. And without me, they will suffer. So I can't just run from them. If God has called me here, I have to stay and work through the pain and the hurt and the offense. Are you listening to me, church? I hope the church out there is listening to me as well. Because this is ridiculous how easily we leave churches just because somebody misspoke to our child. Good luck with that. Wait till they're 40 and somebody misspeaks to them. Are you going to quit? You're going to quit your job? I mean, come on. I mean, I mean, but this is real. It's real. I'm guilty of this. I'm with you. I'm asking the Lord, stop making me so thin-skinned. I want to have the armor of God on. So I want to give you more skills today. We'll, we'll be a little bit quicker today. I want to give you some more skills and, and some foundational principles to help you with that. So this week and next week, we'll wrap up our connection time, and then we'll go into the next part, which I think is communication, which is going to be really good. And then we're going to go into boundaries, which is really good. This book is amazing. Two qualities that make up a healthy relational connection. Here they are in your notes. The foundation of a healthy relationship is an agreement to practice two things. The number, number one is unconditional acceptance. Unconditional acceptance. Unconditional acceptance says, you are not me and I am not you. You've heard this before. You get to be you and I get to be me in this relationship. That's unconditional acceptance. However, listen closely to this. This does not mean that you have to, that you have to unconditionally accept someone else's negative behaviors. It's not what unconditional acceptance means. That you just have to accept all of their negative behaviors. Rather, it means you don't control one another. As you look at that, turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Just keep that up there for a minute, Richard. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Now, Danny didn't give any scripture for this. So I asked the Lord to give me something. And I came across a very interesting but very powerful message when I was studying this out. I was thinking about this. What does unconditional acceptance mean? And, and where, where is there an illustration in the Bible, either of it or the lack of it? And I found the lack of it in Romans. Do you remember how the Jews had a really hard time accepting us, the Gentiles? Remember that? They had a hard time accepting us into this new Christianity thing that Jesus proclaimed to the whole world. And because God called them the chosen people, they thought it was just for them. And so when Gentiles started getting saved, it made them uncomfortable. Right? This gospel message was not secluded just for Jewish synagogues. It was life-saving gospel message for everyone. Unconditionally, Jew or Gentile alike. So I want to show you this morning how powerful you can be when you accept someone unconditionally and hope that by now you all want to be powerful people. I hope by now. Well, it's going to take all of us learning to have unconditional acceptance. Once again, not accepting of behaviors, but not going into a relationship with the goal of changing someone from who they are and learning just to love on them and allowing the Holy Spirit to do the change. Let me repeat that. And allowing the Holy Spirit to do the change, right? And listen, we have to love them until, man, these little words, these English words that we miss, we have to love them until 
the change takes place. And, they, and that may take some time for some people. Are you in it for the long haul? Are you in your relationships for the long haul? 50 years, and I know their story. They both came from broken families. Just, just issues that we all have in families. And for 50 years, they've kept their love on. And they've definitely, I can say this about Ernie and Lynette, they've kept their connection. Have they argued? Eh, I could tell you stories. In fact, no, I won't do it. But they've kept their love on, and they definitely felt kept connected. That's one of the secrets to surviving 50 years. Amazing. Listen to the heart of Paul. As he longs for the day when his own people, the Jewish people, his own tribe, would finally accept the outsiders, the Gentiles. Watch how Paul describes what unconditional acceptance produces as well. It's absolutely amazing. This is, this is just crazy. Romans 11, starting with verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I consider myself to be an apostle to you. When I, when I do that, I magnify my ministry. Think about this. Think about this. Those people that you think there's no chance in hell that they're going to make it to heaven. When you show them unconditional acceptance, you're broadening or widening your ministry. You're magnifying your ministry when you accept outsiders, people that irk you, people that drive you nuts. Why did you put them in my life, Lord? Rhonda, don't be thinking that about Josh. Why did you put them in my life, Lord? When you can accept them, you've just magnified your ministry. Wow. In other words, my ministry is bigger and better because I have accepted you. Because I have accepted the outcast of my society. Because I have unconditional acceptance. Verse 14. If by any means I, I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, the Jews, and save some of them. In other words, if I could just prove to my own people that Jesus came for everyone. Not just for the Jews. If they could just see a multitude, a sea of Gentiles coming to the Lord, maybe they'll change their mind. If they could just know that they were wrong when they rejected the gospel message that Jesus brought. Just because they were uncomfortable with the people that actually showed up to listen to it. Who are they? What are they doing here? Why do they want in the temple? This isn't for them. This is for the chosen. Some of us, I got to tell you, some of us really have this Pharisee, Sadducee attitude even today in 2021. Christians who think they're too spiritual to talk and mingle with certain people. Christians who won't walk on the same side of the road with people or won't look at them. It's true. I see it all the time. You want me to invite who over to my house? Are you kidding me? We have nothing in common. Boy, are you missing it. Boy, are you missing it. Well, yeah, if they're a Christian. But with that comment. If we could love unconditionally, verse 15 tells us what could actually happen. This is amazing. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be? If they actually choose acceptance of the Gentiles, can you imagine what would happen? People that were dead will come to life. 
two amens. Wow, I thought this was the crux of the whole message. <laughs> See, Rick, how it goes sometimes? I thought this was it. I, I didn't know this verse existed. If they would just accept the outcast, if they would just accept everyone, there would be more life, more dead people walking, more dead people coming to church and finding life. It's, it's incredible. This is what our ministry is, the ministry of reconciliation, bringing dead people to life. Did you see that in your notes? Unconditional acceptance brings the dead to life. That's pretty amazing. And isn't that exactly what took place on the cross? Unconditional acceptance of mankind. Hello? While you were yet still sinning. Everyone's sins were paid for. And what was the result of Jesus' unconditional acceptance? Resurrection and life. The dead man came out of that grave alive. Because he had unconditional acceptance of everyone. Now I may be way off here. But that's how I read that. I did study it. But I still think some people could probably push back. But I believe Paul's basically saying to his people. Guys. The gospel message is bringing life to the once dead Gentile. And if you can accept them unconditionally. And the gospel message of Jesus. Unconditionally. Your dead bones. Your religious bones. Will come to life as well. But don't miss out on life. Because of your dead religious standards. Because of your pride and stubbornness. The gent, remember our quote? The Gentiles are not you and you are not them. But if you accept them unconditionally, you get to remain you and they get to remain them. And you can both have Jesus. Amen. Absolutely not. Because then we'll lose our chosen status. I will lose my title in the church. If you let, him get, if you let Rick get up there, why am I not up there? He's only been coming to church for four weeks. What is he doing up there? You see how it works in the church? We're not accepting of everybody. I've paid my dues. I should be the one up there. If you accept them unconditionally, you get to remain you. They get to remain them. But both of you will have life and connection and relationship. That is the gospel message. Life for all. Not human legalism that breeds death. Let me go back to the statement I said about this does not mean that you, ha you have to unconditionally accept one another's negative behaviors, okay? Rather, it means that you do not control one another, okay? I'm going to give you an example from the book. It is going to be on the screen, and I'm going to give Pastor Josh and Amy a chance to respond if you'll pass that mic down to her. I'm going to give her, them a chance to respond. They are both professional counselors. I did kind of warn them, but they really don't, have not seen this quote. So I just want them to respond very quickly if they have something to say. Ready? You ready for this? Because it can be, it, this can be confusing when you talk about unaccept, uh, un, unconditional acceptance. That it, this story could even sound a little confusing. So I'm hoping that we can help you understand what we're talking about. Not controlling someone while not accepting his or her negative behavior looks something like this. Imagine my son has been playing in the backyard and happens to step in doggy do. I don't want his shoes to touch my carpet. So I meet him at the back door. Son, I say, feel free to come in the house. So you're, you're free to come in the house once the dog mess is gone. You can take your shoes off or wash your shoes. Dad, I love you. Take your time. And my voice is calm and I have a smile on my face. Not wanting dog mess in the house doesn't mean I don't want my son in the house. 
I separate him from the mess. I can love him and still require him to eliminate the mess before he comes inside. He may try to force his way in. However, I assure you, people can't force their way into my house, my heart, my intimacy, my trust, my vulnerability. I am the only person who allows people into my house. This is not controlling someone else. This is controlling myself. Right? I hope that explains what unconditional acceptance looks like. Looks like. You accept the person, but not the behavior. Only they are in control of their behaviors, right? All that you can control is your acceptance of them. So listen, you can accept some, someone without letting them all the way in to your house, if you know what I mean. We accept everyone who walks in here, but we don't throw them into leadership positions on the first date, Right? However, sometimes people will be placed into positions quickly, and that usually happens because they already have an established relationship with me or with another leader. And no dog poop on their shoes that we can see, that we can see. It may come up later, and we'll have to deal with it. But when we first meet them, we don't see it. The point is, at some point, in order for me to be intimate with you, in order for me to give you my heart, you will have to deal with your mess. Because if you don't, and I allow you in anyway, there will be dog poop everywhere. Right? Isn't this true? And I want our connection to bring life, not death. I thought about the ministry, and I'm going to let them respond. I thought about the ministry in Philadelphia that Jim Johnson does and in Harrisburg. You guys are going to the street, right? And you've accepted everyone, and they're, and they're hard people. They're, they're watching them put meth in them right in front of them five feet away. They're shooting up with drugs on the street while they're ministering to them. That's unconditional acceptance. How can I love them? But you know what they didn't do? They didn't invite them to come home and live with them. Do you understand? Okay. Not that God wouldn't tell them someday to do that. And if they do, they better obey. But they also didn't let them into their life intimately. But they're still loving on them unconditionally and accepting them unconditionally. Any response? Stand right up and why don't you come right over here so you're on camera. See, now he's making me move. And he didn't tell me the quote we were going to talk about had something to do with poop again. What is up with that? So it's really ironic because I was writing notes in my book before he even kind of told us what we were talking about. And the thing that came to mind that I think is pressing is just first in the Philadelphia example, we also didn't tell them to quit shooting mess so we could talk to them. Like we have to accept people where they're at and then love on them and then the stopping meth happens eventually. Like all of that happens. But the thing that came to mind for me is three things happen when we try to manipulate the situation because we are not the same and people have behaviors and we want them to be like us. Three things happen. As a Christian, as a believer, if you're working on a relationship with someone who has a lot of really bad behaviors, you have the opportunity to fall into them. So one of the things that you have to remember is don't lose your witness. Because you're supposed to be the witness. You're supposed to be the person that's providing the example. Not telling people what to do, per se, but providing the example. My best ministry experiences were always just by showing my life to someone, not telling them what to do. The other thing that I thought about that we do sometimes is sometimes we just ignore it. When we fall into a place in a relationship with somebody that we get to the point that we're apathetic, we don't care anymore. Oh, that's just so-and-so. They're always like that. I'm not going to even address it 
then I've made it to a place of apathy where I just allow that behavior to continue. And if you let apathy happen, you're not going to have intimacy and you're not going to have trust. It's never going to happen because you just don't care anymore. You, still love, you can still love a person and not care enough to want their life to be different and be better. But then the big one, and I don't know why I'm talking about this, but the big one is control. Um, so you cannot, be, you cannot be another person's Holy Spirit. And what I wrote down is this. Say that again. You cannot be another person's Holy Spirit. And what I wrote down is this. When you fall into that level of control where you're trying to control someone else's behavior. And guys, this can be little stuff like, I never let anybody do the dishes because they don't do the dishes the way that I do the dishes. And so if I let him do the dishes and he doesn't do them the way I want him to, then I'm mad because I have to redo the dishes. And you just, I mean, that's a stupid little thing, but it's so true. You just have to let them do the dishes. So what if they didn't do them the way you do the dishes? But then it gets into really, really big things. And, you know, I think of of an example in my life as, as my husband was coming to Christ. I wanted so bad to be his Holy Spirit that I, he took on an identity that wasn't his. Because he was trying to make me happy. And the problem is that when you have someone who's taking on a false identity because you're trying to control who they are, then I wrote this down. When they're trying to please you, they can't please him. So to tap a little bit into what Amy was talking about, my wife, when I moved in with her, um, she folds towels very distinctly. And I will tell you, if you fold them wrong, she will refold them. So as her husband, I had a choice to make. I could either let her fold all the towels or I could love her enough to learn her way and just so she didn't have to redo it. But uh, when, uh, when I was praying a little bit about what uh, Mark was sharing, some of the things that came to my mind was um, what, we're, what we're thinking about inside. You know, oftentimes in counseling or even in our own lives, we look at what our list of priorities are. What are we working towards? And then hopefully we also look into the why. Why are we doing this? And I think what we have to be careful of, and in the, um, in the situation of the poo coming in your house, well, am I doing it for my own motivation or am I doing it out of love? If I accept this person, am I trying to change this person? Or am I just loving them freely? Because I, I guess a test you could say, if you put yourself in that situation, what happens if they don't respond? Is it now my offense? Well, I helped this person, God. Why aren't they going to heaven? And now it comes back on me. But if I truly accept someone, their reaction is their reaction. Their choice is their choice. My choice is to follow God and make the decision. Go into the world and share the gospel. And if they don't respond, I'm sorry, that's on them, not on me. And so it really goes back to what Mark's been talking about, about being a powerful person. If I'm looking for acceptance in who I'm helping, then in a counseling term, it turns into codependency. I become in a codependent relationship with the people I'm serving, with the people I'm accepting. So I'm trying to help someone that really needs help, but really I'm trying to get something from them. That's not accepting someone. That's requiring something from them first. Wow. Wow. That's good. 
are so blessed to have some professionals in the room. So, so, so this isn't about ignoring their sin. You know, we ask God for opportunities. And when they say stupid, when something stupid comes out, you go, would, would you like to talk about that? Because I'd love to talk to you about that. No, nope, I'm, not, I'm not ready. Leave me alone. Okay. When you're ready, let me know. Because I'd love to talk to you about that issue. Because God has an answer for that. So it's not about ignoring. Accepting unconditionally doesn't mean you just ignore their behavior. It also doesn't mean that you have to address the, the behavior right away. You just made me think of something. So one of the things that I would say that goes right along with that is, and, and my kids will all just go, yup. Um, anytime you're addressing behavior with someone, first you have to have connection. You have to build some kind of relationship or that addressing means nothing to them or it's criticism and they're not going to hear you. Anyway. But I think that the other big piece is anytime I've ever addressed something with my, especially in their adult lives, my kids, with my friends, and Bobby will attest to that too, I can say some things that are blunt, that are real, that like, hmm, maybe you should look at this. And I expect reciprocity. I expect them to do that for me too. But it's always done with love. It's always done with, here's why I'm saying this. It's just like disciplining a child. You do the same thing in your relationships for each other. It's always in love. It's always in, here's the positive. But let's talk, maybe you should take a look at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that good? It's a good segue into number two. Number two in your notes, good segue. She talked about love. The foundation of a healthy relationship is an agreement to unconditionally accept them. And number two, unconditionally love them. Unconditional love says, no matter what you do, I am going to pursue the goal of connection with you. Now, that'll be hard if you run. But I'll, 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 I'll restore that relationship as soon as you're ready. But I'm going to pursue you to keep connection as much as possible, as much as you allow me. Listen, it, it's natural. It's natural to have some anxiety in a relationship when differences show up. Different opinions, different personalities, different beliefs, different ways of doing things. Like finances and raising children and disciplining children. And we have these arguments all the time. And sometimes, and a lot of times nowadays, marriages end over it. Instead of staying connected and keeping your love on and working your way through it. It's natural to have some anxiety in a relationship when differences show up. And when that happens, fear will tempt you to run away from each other. But of course, we conquered that fear thing last week, right? Right? There is no fear in love. And now when we have a difference of opinion, we don't quit and run. We face it and we address it with un conditional love here's the point in your notes when we commit to unconditional love we commit to keep up moving toward each other let me repeat that we commit to keep moving toward each other instead of away and so you know what where this happens the most is like when you're in your bedroom and, and most of it happens up here because most of us have some sort of control over our tongues but do you know the enemy loves to live up here even if he can't get you to voice your anger towards your spouse or your friend, he loves to just come up with all kinds of scenarios up here. Right? Who do they think I should have said this and you know, they're lucky I didn't say this and what about what they did in 1960? <laughs> You're going back that far? I thought you forgave them for that. You told them three times you forgave them for that. 
and you're bringing it up now, guess what? You didn't forgive them. Or you allowed the enemy to use you to wield that to just win an argument. How sad. Now they're devastated, they're hurt, they're destroyed because for 25 years they thought they were forgiven. And because you wanted to win one argument, you threw the whole kitchen sink in. Pretty sad. That's not moving towards each other. That's moving away. So I love what Amy said, the description of forgiveness. And she was talking about, I think, even Mike at that time. She said, my definition of true forgiveness is I forgive them. It doesn't mean I forget about it, but I never bring it up again. That was powerful when she said that. That was years ago, by the way. Eight years ago, probably. I know, I know. When we commit to unconditional love, we commit to moving toward each other, even when we're scared. Even when we're scared. Isn't that powerful? We will do whatever we need to do to protect our connection. We will do whatever we need to do to be on the same team with each other. And children divide couples all the time. Do not let children divide you. So you disagree on how to handle that. Work it out before the sun comes up the next day, before the sun goes down, before the sun comes up, whatever the Bible says. You can work through it real quick. Yes. Keith just said in an argument when, when someone tries to be the winner, it actually means you both lost. He's, he's in school for psychology, so. <laughs> Can't help it. I just read about it yesterday. <laughs> Give me a microphone. That's awesome. That's awesome, dude. Thank you. That's great. You're both losers. <laughs> That's what, basically what he said, not me. He said, you're both losers. All right. Lesson, life lesson, relationship lesson number one. Relationship lesson number one. Sometimes you have to be willing to agree to disagree. It's okay that you can't convince him how to do dishes. By the way, since you brought that up, I do dishes better than Angel. I just wanted you to know that. (laughs) My mom taught me how to do it perfectly. So if you want to learn the perfect way, come see me. Sometimes, sometimes you have to be willing to agree to disagree over something in order. Everybody say in order. In order, in order to maintain your connection. Why can't we do this as believers as well? Why can't we do this in our culture as well? Right. Instead, we have to win. So we get on Facebook and we just bash somebody because they, they, don't, they don't believe the same party, political party as, as us. Or they differ, they, they, they differ in their belief about abortion. And we just have to go in there and rip them apart. Yeah, okay. You're, you're a Christian. You have scripture. Right after telling somebody that they're some kind of animal because they believe in abortion, the very next verse is love one another as you love yourself. Like, you, you can't quote scriptures and do that at the same time and be a believer. I, I, I was looking at somebody's Facebook page yesterday and I was stunned to see the, the hateful, it was, it was nobody in the church, so just relax. The hateful stuff, and then in between every hateful word or, or comment was a scripture. That's, live, that's because they think it's okay to live on the fence. And it's not because the devil owns the fence. Yep. You don't always have to have the last word. You don't always have to win the argument. You don't always have to be right. 
Relationship lesson number two. You will never have, by the way, these aren't in the book. I made these up. So the Holy Spirit gave them to me, I guess. You will never have a healthy connection when one or both of you are being driven by selfishness. You will never have a healthy connection when one or both of you are being driven by selfishness or self-centeredness. Do you know how many relationships that have been destroyed because two people have had two different opinions on something? And typically the argument is over something dumb and insignificant, like a sock on the floor. This is the point. Don't let your disagreements drive a wedge in your connection. Unconditional love is love without conditions. Right? It's I love you regardless. I will love you in spite of you saying I look like Wayne from Wayne's World when I woke up in the morning. Chester just told me she was, she woke up and he just was telling me that this morning. She goes, oh, pastor. She said, I was telling her, I'm going to use your example. Is that okay? I asked for permission to use the cell phone thing because I didn't want to offend her. And she's like, you can't offend me. I said, my husband told me I look like Wayne from Wayne's World the other morning when I woke up. And so, she, yeah, so you'll have to ask her how she responded because I'm not doing this live on TV or live on the internet. Okay, I got to tell you, she said... <laughs> That's exactly what she did. Swing! That's exactly what she did. It's probably totally inappropriate, but I never watched it, so I don't know. I've, I've seen it. I've seen memes. I love you regardless. I love you in spite of. I will love you forever. It's not. It's not. Listen, I will love you if. It's not I will love you only when. It's not I will love you but first you must meet my needs. Sadly, this is what most marriages and relationships have become. No one is saying this out loud. But this is what's going on secret, secretly in our minds. I will meet your love language when you meet mine. That's what's secretly going on in the bedroom, in, in, in the minds, and in friendships. What have you done for me lately? Why would I do anything for you? That's selfishness. That's, the, that's your sign that you're self-centered. Because you're supposed to go into a relationship giving without expecting anything in return. That's what unconditional love and acceptance means. In your notes, one of the disconnects that we have when it comes to loving others unconditionally is this. It's not based on a feeling. It's based on a choice. So just, rem just remind yourself, when you start having the devil play with your feelings up here, go, hey, hey, God, dude, it's not about my and how I feel. It's, no, once again, we're not preaching don't have feelings. If you're angry, you need to have a conversation. You know, but why don't people talk about this in relationships? Why aren't they saying, hey, by the way, you haven't met my love language in like 30 days. And I'm, I'm, I'm dying here. I need to know. I don't feel your love. And you know what my love language is. Can you meet it once in a while? So it's okay to tell someone that. Right? We covered this last week, but it's very important when it comes to loving someone. This whole feeling and choice thing. Right? It's very important when it comes to loving someone unconditionally because our feelings are affected by pain and hurt. They are. And in order to love someone unconditionally, we're going to have to choose at that moment when they hurt us, we're going to have to choose to love them over and over and over and over and over and over. And listen, choose them over our feelings. Right? Last week we talked about Jesus' unconditional love for us. While we were yet sinners. And just as unconditional acceptance can bring life. 
I found this verse too. It's pretty crazy. 1 John 4, 9, 11, and 16. So we're jumping around from the Good News Translation. Verse 9, and God showed his love for us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have life. There's the answer. Unconditional love brings life. It brought it to us. Why aren't we bringing it to other people? Unconditional love brings life to dead people. And for John, this leads naturally to the conclusion in verse 11. Dear friends, if this is how, if this is how, and you should underline that, circle that, how. If this is how God loved us, then, then circle that, then, in the same way, we should love one another unconditionally. Let me just say something here. One of the reasons that we are not loving well is because of the source or the lack of the source that we are loving from. Let me repeat that. One of the reasons that we're not loving well is either the source or the lack of the source that we are loving from. In other words, if you're trying to love on others from yourself, you will not love well. Verse 16 explains it. I love this. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. There's the source. There's the source. God is love. And he who hangs out with God will love like God. That's my interpretation. He who abides in love abides in God and then God in him. He who hangs out with God and takes on the heart of God will have the same heart for other people. In your notes, the last thing I want you to fill out and then I'm going to just give you a quote and close. In order to be able to pour out unconditional love onto others, we must ourselves be drawing from God's unconditional love for us. In order to be able to pour out, we must draw from. So then there's the key. Then there's the source. In order to pour out unconditional love onto others, we must be drawing unconditional love from God. From what he did for us. It's like what Bobby said. What, what did you say again about God? I just left my mind. For I had a, yeah, can you imagine him treating us? Can you imagine him treating us this way? Right? Thank you, Jesus. The source of our love is crucial. And when we are drinking from Jesus' love for us, then we won't be as thirsty for other people's love. Listen to this. If we are drinking from Jesus' love for us, we won't be looking for love in all the wrong places. We won't care if anybody loves us back because we have enough from Jesus to satisfy. See, it leaves room for people to not love us properly. But it's okay, I'm still going to love them and I'm still going to accept them because I'm not loving them so that they give me something. I'm loving them because Christ loved me first. Come on, this is huge, but we're getting it wrong, so we need to get this right. I hope it's making sense. Let me wrap it up with a quote, and it shows the difference between this. This is kind of our final thought, and this is what we're going to just pray. This is kind of our prayer, so I'm going to ask you to stand after this, and we're going to pray, but this is basically what we're praying. Conditional love and acceptance means that we are willing to pull away from our connection under certain circumstances. The minute we happen to scare the other person or they scare us, we will be tempted to withhold our love and disconnect. And because disconnection only produces more fear and anxiety, we will widen our distance at an alarming rate. This threat effectively prevents two people from feeling free to be themselves because they instinctively, because they instinctively know the connection won't be strong enough to handle it. Here's the opposite. 
In contrast, when we commit to unconditional love and acceptance, we protect each other's freedom. Everything that we offer to the relationship comes freely from our hearts, none under control. Coercion. Yes, committing to pursue and protect my connection with you means, this is the huge statement that I want to leave you with, I will be thinking about how my decisions affect you. See, selfishness, they don't, they don't live by this rule. But when you're selfless, you think about every decision and how that affects your friend and your church family. Church family, like sin. And your spouse and your children and your parents. <laughs> you know what the Bible says about you and your parents? You're supposed to, if you want to live long, you bring joy to their heart. You obey them and you're supposed to bring joy to your heart. That's all you got to worry about right now. Just bring joy to their hearts, okay? That's all you got to worry about. And don't forget to tithe. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I will be thinking about how my decisions affect you while making adjustments accordingly. Yes, commit by, but managing myself to protect our connection is the ultimate expression of freedom. That is what it means to be a powerful person. Let's stand. Next week, we're going to cover the seven pillars of healthy relationships. You're not going to want to miss it. But for now, we just want to ask the Holy Spirit for strength, right? For strength, because you can't do any of this without the power of the Holy Spirit. And for the power to choose unconditional love and acceptance always. Let's start with it in our homes. Let's pray right now. Father, Holy Spirit, God, Father God, Son Jesus, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, we are asking for help from you to start this in our homes today. No more negative words, no more cutting down words, no more discouraging words. I won't allow that in my home. Only words that build each other up according to their needs. So you're going to have to treat all your children probably differently if they have different personalities and different love languages. But you figure out what their needs are and how they feel loved and you meet that love language. According to their needs, we will build each other up. I will no longer let my kids say negative words about each other. It's going to stop today. And it's going to be work and it's going to be hard, but there's going to be consequences if you tear each other down. And by the way, a timeout with their computer and their Game Boy and their Xbox in their room is not punishment. Okay? So, just saying. That's my own opinion. And then, Father, may you help us with our marriages and our spouses. And then will you help us in our relationship with the church? And then will you help us with our relationship with the world? To have and to hold on to and to keep our love on and to keep our connection with and to have unconditional acceptance and unconditional love for your children, whether they be messy, dog poop on their shoes, broken, a hot mess, bitter, angry. May you work this out in us. You help us clean the dog poop off our shoes so that we can then extend the hand of mercy and grace and lead someone else towards the cross so that their shoes can be clean. In Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name if you believe that and you want that. In my life. In Jesus' name. In my life first. In Jesus' name. And then in my home, and then at work, and then in my church, and then in the world. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.
Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.